0: God showed up. See, that, that's the important part. In fact, I just want you to just say that out loud. God showed, up. God showed up. Turn to the person next to you and just say, hey, God showed up. Just say really loud, God showed up. God showed up. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm thinking that showing up is important. I once received an invitation to go speak at a gathering of men at a breakfast on a Saturday morning. So I put it on my calendar and looked forward to being there. The Saturday before I was to be there, a week before, I was in my office and doing final preparation for the next day, the Sunday. My cell phone rang and I answered the phone and I could hear this, a lot of this noise in the background and then the voice on the other end of the phone announced himself as the pastor of the place that I was supposed to go the next week and speak And he said, where are you? He said, we're waiting for you. We have a hundred men here waiting for you to speak. Now what had transpired that we didn't realize is that they had moved the date up a week and no one had told me. And it was a a topic that took some extensive research and had to be totally accurate and I wasn't done with my preparation. And in addition to that, I really couldn't get there fast enough so that, that I could help So that I could actually do anything And so I had to apologize And I had to say I, I'm not showing up I can't be there So I, I know they, they felt rejected In fact, I know they felt That perhaps I had some indifference about me And that maybe I didn't even care And so I said I said, look I would love for you Please reinvite me So it's been 12 years now and i'm thinking pretty soon they're going to reinvite me it's important to show up i have a friend whose wife died of cancer leaving him to raise two young daughters and his question was why didn't god show up he feels rejected he feels that there's some indifference with God, that God doesn't care. And so for all of us in this place today who ever felt like God didn't show up, that you, that you felt that there was some indifference there, that, that maybe God didn't care, I want us to not start in, in, in the beginning at that place that we celebrate I don't want us to go to that place quite yet that that is known for its wonderful bread. It's kind of like the Panera of Judea. Its real name is House of Bread. You may know it as Bethlehem. But instead, I want us to go six miles northeast to the major metropolis, to the epicenter of worship, and to the root of their disappointment. I want us to go to Jerusalem and and to that temple. And we're going to find an old guy and an old woman. They've got this lineage that comes all the way from Aaron, the high priest. Aaron, the priest that worked right next to Moses. They've got this incredible lineage. But their concern is that they cannot pass on this lineage. In fact, they become a metaphor for the entire nation because Elizabeth is barren. Zechariah and and Elizabeth have prayed and asked Jehovah God to give them a son, and God has not shown up. They feel rejected. They feel as if God has indifference. They feel as if God doesn't care. They are not celebrating because they feel they have no future. Israel is barren. They want to advance their worship. They want to advance their culture. But they have been invaded by a violent oppression By the injustice of the Roman Empire. And they have cried out for an answer. But God has not yet shown up. And they feel rejected. And they feel that God has been indifferent. That God does not care. And so they do not celebrate. Because they have no future. And in addition to that. They've had a disappointing past. And when I think about them. I I think of the. The nun that took a vow of silence And she could only once a year Come out of the vow of silence with one sentence And so after her first year The mother superior sat with her and said What would you like to say you have one sentence? And she thought for a moment She said the oatmeal is cold And that was it But the oatmeal got better The second year They brought her in and said What would you like to say? she said, the bed's too hard. And so they got some of those egg carton cushion thingies that and, and, and made it a little softer. And her third year they brought her back in and she'd been doing all the stuff that she's supposed to do and just, just was a wonderful lady. And they, they said, well, you have one sentence, what would you like to say? She said, the room is too drafty. And immediately they kicked her out. And so... Now she says to them, Why? I've done such a good job. And they said, All you ever do is complain. (laughs) So here's the deal. For 400 years, God has not spoken. And before that, it seemed like all he did was send his prophets to complain about their lifestyle. And so they feel like they have no hope. There is no future. Now it just so happens that... Zechariah's division of the priesthood has been called into Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And he, over all others in that nation, is chosen by lot to enter into the holy place to burn incense. This is an amazing thing, because if God really is still around, Jehovah God, whom they recite all the wonderful things he's accomplished, the one who drew them out of the land of Egypt, that one... If he's still around, he will probably be in that holy place. So everyone gathers around, the worshipers gather, and Zechariah enters into the place where he is going to burn the incense. He prepares the incense. He goes to burn the incense at the altar. And standing to the right of the altar is an angel. Now we've read this story before, and we've become so accustomed to it, but how would you feel if suddenly you just walked out of your bathroom into the bedroom and there stood an alien? Would it frighten you? The kind where, where your, your mouth goes dry and your hands begin to shake and the knees begin to click together? It's the fear that he felt. I, I understand that, that feeling, I've told you in the past that at one point in our lives, Pam and I were asleep in bed, and she heard a noise, and she said, "I think someone's in the house." And so I got up and checked, and sure enough, while we were in the house with our kids, someone had broken in and took our wallets and purses and watches and everything, and 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 they'd been in the rooms, and it just you, you feel so incredibly violated. It happened at 3:30 in the morning. So the cops came pistols drawn going through the house checking every place and come to find out They'd hit all a bunch of houses in our neighborhood. And and so the next night when I finally fell asleep I woke up at 3 30 I had this fear What if he comes back? What if he saw stuff that he wants? And so I got up and I and I went to the house and I checked to make sure the doors were still locked and and then I Went in to make sure my kids were okay I was walking out of the set of the bedrooms where the kids are, walking a court towards my bedroom. And I, to my right is where the kitchen and the family room are, and I heard a noise in there. And I thought, oh, it's just maybe the furnace clicking on. And then I heard more noise, and immediately I knew someone was coming back through that window. And it terrified me. My mouth went dry, my heart, I could feel it pounding in my throat. And I didn't have a weapon. I didn't know what to do. So the only thing I knew what to do was scream at the top of my lungs at 3.30 in the morning. Hoping that if he's halfway through the window, he'll go back out. So I went, "Ah!" as loud as I could. And then I waited. And I heard this voice coming from the kitchen that said, Jack, is that you? What I didn't know is Pam had come out of the bedroom while I was gone, had gone in the kitchen, was getting water, which now was on the ceiling. We had terrified each other. Do you know, so often our fear comes from the thought that what has disappointed us will return. When in reality, there are those moments that what we fear is actually sent by God to communicate his love. It was this case for Zechariah, for there stood this angel. And here's what Luke records, Luke, the first chapter. But the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. And you are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. And he will herald God's arrival in the style and in the strength of Elijah. He'll soften the hearts of parents to children and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Now, come on, honestly, if you see an angel and the angel says, I've been hanging out with God and God wants to give you this message, wouldn't you go, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, Zechariah had been conditioned by his disappointments that even a divine visitation could not dislodge him from his hopelessness. And so he says to the angel, Yeah, well, how do I know for sure? And the angel says, I am Gideon. I'm Gabriel, I'm Gabriel, and and here's the deal. I stand with God, and God sent you a message, and you don't believe me, so therefore what I'm telling you is this, that you will be silent until this comes to pass. Now, he's taking his time in this place, and the people worshiping are wondering what's happened, so he finally comes out, and he cannot speak, so that he pantomimes to them, and they understand that he's seen a vision. He goes home, he gets his wife pregnant, and he is mute for nine months. And you want to say to him, dude, don't argue with angels. But his past experiences have told him that there is no future. There is no hope. And some of you feel that way today. You say, I'm just tired of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And you're not sure you have any hope left. Where do you find hope? I want to encourage you this morning to anchor to what is trustworthy. In 1953, psychologist Solomon Solomon Ash invited volunteers to become part of a unique experiment. He he drew in volunteers, and, and actually seven of those volunteers were secret collaborators. The eighth person in was an unsuspecting victim in this process. He brought them in and then he showed them lines. He he showed them a single line and then he showed them three separate lines and asked them to find of those three separate lines which one equaled the distance of the first line. So find of these three which one matches this one. So they go around person number one, person number two, all the way around to person number eight, and they all say the same thing, and it's pretty obvious it, that is the answer. They go around again, and everybody gets it right. Third time around, those seven people in collaboration all give the obviously wrong answer. And the eighth guy, is just, he's just stumped said, so why would they answer that? So, but but he, he's a little brave, so he still gives them the right answer. They go around again, and, and this time he's a little hesitant, but he gives the right answer. They do it again, giving the wrong answer, and now he agrees with them, and from that point on, he agrees with them with the obviously wrong answer. The conclusion was this, that most people are significantly swayed by the opinions of others no matter how preposterous the answer is. It's called social truth versus actual truth. So I have a question for you. Who convinces you? When Elizabeth gave birth to this miracle baby, here's what happened. Luke 1, verse 62 says, they used sign language to ask Zechariah what he wanted him named. And asking for a tablet, Zechariah wrote, his name is to be John that took everyone by surprise. And surprise followed surprise. Zechariah's mouth was now open, his tongue loosed, and he was talking, praising God. Now, it's interesting that as we read this passage, we understand something else. Not only was he mute, but evidently he was also deaf because they had to sign to him to get him to understand. At the moment of his doubt, at the moment when his disappointments had taken over his future, God says to him I'm going to silence you and why does God want to silence us because when we are silent we listen But he said I just don't want you listening to anybody I'm going to also make you deaf so that you will not listen to anything except what I've already told you And for the next nine months you will focus on what I'm saying to you Zachariah you're grounded Go to your room and think about this for nine months Because not only is Elizabeth pregnant, but Zachariah is also pregnant because God is birthing something new in him, and what he's birthing in him is hope. Because rarely does hope announce itself with with some coach's halftime tirade or with us screaming scripture verses at demons. Hope does not usually come that way. When my friend's wife died of cancer, there were my other friends standing around the bed yelling at demonic and evil forces, saying that she had to be healed, and yet she wasn't. And where will my friend find hope? I believe that we need to understand that hope grows from the voices that we allow inside. And so we have to choose. We have to select the ones who convince us. Our selected community of voices will shape our thought process. So who do you listen to all the time? Who, who's impressing your mind? Where are those voices? Is it, is it, is it Fox News? Are they the ones that just that, that permeate your mind? Is it MTV? Is MTV the one that shapes you? Is it Lady Gaga? Bill Cosby the three amigos. We get to choose who will shape our thought process. And Zechariah chose his. And after he wrote down the baby's name would be John, his mouth opened up and the first thing, the very first thing out of his mouth is the voice that he's been listening to for nine months. And here's what he says. Luke 1, verse 68. Salvation from... Let me start. I think you got the wrong one on the, on the screen there, guys. Let me help us. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed us, his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, this guy, for all these years of disappointment, kept aborting any chance of of trust in the future. And now, after all this time of of listening to these voices that are coming from God, he suddenly gives birth to a full-grown hope. What he does, as you would look through the Scripture, is is he repeats it in what is, is a literary form called... A chiasmus, which is basically he takes parallel thoughts and principles and from each side he brings them in so he'll talk about faith on both sides of his, his saying and then and then go to love and, and then to, about enemies. And, and finally he comes to the core, the core of these two words that face each other in this parallel thought process. And when he gets to the core, it's the hub of what he's trying to say. And he says, it all comes right here. The covenant and the oath of Jehovah God. And he says, I'm anchoring myself in the promise and the keeping of the promise of Jehovah God. So I'm going to ask you a question. Where are you anchored? Into whose thoughts are you anchored? What is the core? What is the center of where you are anchored? And is it trustworthy? The voices we entertain convince us as to what we should believe. So you may have believed until a couple of years ago, that you were secure because your wealth management was under control, and in these last years, that 's been blown away. You may have believed that you had your family all under control, and when your family's under control, then everything is peaceful and fine until that divorce busted you apart. Where's your anchor? You thought by getting that degree that everything would flow for you and now you realize you can't finish that degree. And you feel hopeless. Each of us decides what voices will convince us. So where's your core? I have a friend who lives in Washington, D.C. His core for years has been his trust in in the teachings and the relationship he has with Jesus Christ. He met a friend and they began going out and having breakfast together once a month. And for years they they met together and and the guy who met with him was an atheist, a high powerful attorney in Washington, D.C. My friend was just a friend. And they really never ever talked about Jesus. They just talked about life and about about what's going on with them. And, and, And finally one day this attorney says to him, So, we haven't really talked much about Jesus and and you told me that you're a follower of Jesus, but we really haven't talked about it. And so you tell me about tell me tell me why why Jesus? Goodness. And so they, they talk about Jesus, and for a couple of weeks they talk about Jesus. And finally my friend says, Really, if, if you really want to know about Jesus, you should just read about him. And so he gave him a Bible and said, Just I want you to read you know, in the next couple of months, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and just, let me just simplify it, just, just read it. So he hands him one of those, one of those Bibles that, that all the words of Jesus are in red. And so they actually meet the next week. And so they gather together, and he thinks, well, maybe, you know, maybe he read a couple of verses, a couple of chapters of, of Matthew, and he sat down with him. He said, so, so how'd the reading go? He said, Yeah, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I had more questions. And then my friend says, You know, today I've got to go meet with some senators and I'm trying to figure out what to tell them. And, and without, without any pause or hesitation, the attorney says to him, Hey, tell them the red words are the best words. And in that process, the guy begins to understand who this Jesus is and he begins to anchor there. So here, here's I'm just going to be real simple with you this morning. You don't have any hope, you need a place to anchor grab a Bible and go to the New Testament and look in the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look for the words of Jesus. So I'm going to tell you to you just look at the words of Jesus and see if you can find hope there. If you have questions, we'll answer those for you. If you need a Bible, I'll get it for you. It's that simple because it's trustworthy. If you're a follower of Jesus and you feel hopeless today, then I'm going to tell you, you go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read it. And anchor back in what is convincing and trustworthy now if you do that i 'm going to encourage you to do this as you 're reading and, and anchoring there, look for the embracing you ever been you ever been in a situation where life sucker punched you and, and and you have to be strong something happened there was a crisis and and you just weren 't prepared for it and you just got to remain strong, but you don 't feel you feel like you 're crumbling underneath last last uh, winter. On our day off, I was at home and and Pam had taken off to go somewhere. And and in about five minutes, I get this phone call and and I I answer the phone. And I said, hello. And and I don't hear anything. I just just hear noise in the background. And I said, hello. And then I hear Pam's voice and and she's she's weeping. She said, "Ah, ah, 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 ah," I said, hello. Ah, I, I, I just hit a telephone pole. I said, what happened? Well, what happened is that she, had, she was going up a hill, cresting the hill, and unbeknownst to her, on the downside of that hill, there had been a lot of spin-outs. It was an icy day. And the cars had backed up the hill, but nobody had warned anybody coming over the hill. So when she came over the hill, there was no time to stop. She was doing reasonable speed, but there was no time to stop. So she did the smart thing. She just ditched it, went through a ditch, and hit a pole. Now they tell me that when, when they got to her to make sure she was fine, people were coming around, she was strong, I'm good, I'm fine, everything's good. And, and, but the moment she got me on the phone, she just melted. There are those moments when we want to be strong, but we need that help and we feel underneath that we need the support. And, and someone comes by who has that strength and, and we say, help me, and they say yes, and then you just crumble onto them. Because there's strength there. In the passage we've read today, in Luke 1, verse 68, the scripture says this, because he has come. That word he has come simply means this, that he has shown up to be the one that we lean upon. The one who embraces us, the one we can collapse on, because while he's holding us, he is saying, I am here. It's okay. Now, while he's holding you and embracing you at that moment, understand that not only is he embracing, but he is enforcing. And I'm going to encourage you to trust the enforcing, and this is going to be the most difficult part for us. Because you think that that sickness that is attacking you, God does not notice. You think that 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 boss that, that is malicious or that nasty X have snuck by God. I'm going to tell you that God sees it and is not quiet. You say, "But nothing's happening. Really? In some ways, we're much like Captain Richard Phillips. Pirates board his ship. He gets his crew to safety. They take him hostage in a lifeboat, and for five days he's held captive. He tries to escape, but doesn't make it. They bring him back, and now they hold him at gunpoint, and he says, I feel as if my life is about, coming, about to come to an end. And what can they do? But you see, what he doesn't know is that already the rescue is at hand. It's already operational. It's already happening. Special forces have positioned themselves at the right place so that at the right moment, the enemy is neutralized and he is freed. We say nothing's happening. The scripture we read said that he already has begun to redeem us. It simply means this, that the rescue is at hand the rescue is already operational it already is happening what you don't know right now is when you're thinking nothing is happening that i'm not making it through this god is already placing the right people his special forces in the right place it is operational at this moment the rescue is on you say prove that to me i will you see god has already released his power we read, again, in Luke one sixty eight, he has raised up a horn of salvation. That is, that is a euphemism. That, that is an expression that, that of a strong animal with a horn, there's this incredible strength that has been released. And he said, I want to tell you where it's been released. It's been released through the throne of David. Now, I want you to catch this, because we live in a world that that tells us that Miraculous things are impossible and spiritual things really don't happen. I want to tell you this, that what happened millenniums ago through King David, through his throne, put into effect already your rescue. What's transpired from then and gone from generation to generation, from kingdom to kingdom or or from king to king, now at this point is here in Erie, Pennsylvania. And at this moment, that power has been coming through to be ready to rescue you at this moment. The horn of salvation has already been released through the throne of David for you. And here's how I know. Luke recorded this. Luke 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea. To Bethlehem, the town of who? David. Because he belonged to the house and line of who? David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Nothing happened? Nothing happening? I want you now to leave that, that, that temple of your disappointment, and I want you to come now to the village of hope. For there at that spot, God has made a promise it is, it is where Zechariah had put his faith in an oath, in a promise that God was rescuing. Come to that spot. Come to that place where that rescue was happening. And that all the evil forces that have made life so cruddy for you and caused you pain already have been confronted by this power that we see represented at that place, at that moment. And it's happening now. And here's what's happening for you. We need to be bold In the invitation unlike the White House guests who were not invited you perhaps have heard about them your name is on the list in fact that is why Zechariah had a kid to tell you that your name is on that list for here's what he's supposed to do Luke 1 verse 76 And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll speak for God. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. He said, you know and get ready that this one is coming to tell you that you should get ready that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is coming in flesh, God himself, to forgive you for your sins by dying on a cross for you. We've already read this earlier in our worship service, that at the right moment, God sent his son, God in flesh, so that he would take on himself our sins. And in doing so, pay our penalty so that we could come back into relationship with God and be with him forever. That is the promise. And our name is on that list. John, a follower of Jesus, said this, that as to many as received him, Jesus, to those who believed on his name, the name of him being Savior and Son of God, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So now, this boy, being born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know him as John the Baptist. The scripture he read said that he would come in the style and in the power of Elijah the prophet, These are two men who show up to tell you what God is thinking. And when they say it, it's a representation of God. And they come in that power and in that strength. Elijah showed up in the middle of a famine in a place called Zarephath. And he found a a, a single mom with a, a son. And they only had enough flour and oil to make one more piece of bread. And then they were going to die. The prophet shows up and he says, I'm going to be with you and, and what's going on? And they, and they said, well, we're going to go eat this stuff. We're going to die because there's no more food. And he said, okay, you go do that. Go make that, but make one for me first because I'm a prophet of God. So give this to God first. So they, they make the the. the the piece of bread and they give it to him and he says and by the way God is going to tell you this and here's your hope that every time you go to make a meal you will find enough flour and oil to do that and it will be the case every time you want to eat until this whole thing is over it's exactly what happened later on that son began to feel ill and died She came to Elijah and said, Hey, where did God go? Why didn't God show up? What happened to your God? He takes the child, puts him in a private chamber, prays over him, and actually lays over him so that his life flows into that boy and that boy comes back to life. And she says, Now I know that your God is real. I simply want to tell you this, that when you put your hope in God that you can be bold... Jesus Christ himself said, when you pray, understand this, that the Father who loves you so deeply has already begun to answer because he is a Father. He knows what you need. He's already supplying it. That you can be bold. In fact, he said, when you come to the Father, here's how I want you to pray. I want you to come as the the man came at midnight and disrupted his neighbors and pounded on the door and said, I just got some people showed up. I need some bread. Get out of bed and get that food for me. And he kept pounding until the guy answered said, I want you to come to me in boldness and don't be timid about this thing. That you've been invited and when you are in my house, your needs get taken care of. So I want you to find hope in the fact that you're on the list, you're in the home, and therefore you be bold and ask what you know you need and believe me that I'm going to give it to you. And as you do, I want to encourage you that you fill your day Load it with encouragement. That word encouragement actually, is two words, it means encourage, inside courage. See, what makes us hopeless is the fact that we don't believe that, that anything can change. We don't believe that this is going to turn out for good. And here's the promise. Luke 1, verse 78. And because of the tender mercy of our God, By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You will be in darkness. And he said, In this darkness, I want you to understand that there will come a light. And that light will be, he uses the word, tender mercy. It, it, it's really an interesting word. It means the bowels and compassion. It means really, really, really deep compassion. He's going to come to you and give you a spark of light. And what he wants you to do with that light, it may not be enough light. To, you'll understand the entire path, but you can understand right now. You can understand today. And he says, I want you to fan that flame, that spark, so that you can see it clearly. That I've got you now. Find your hope now. Fill today with that hope you found. So, Pam and I had come to a place, not in this city, but in another place where times were a lot tougher and and we'd run out of money and we had no more cash for anything and we ran out of soap. You don't want to run out of soap. So we said, oh God, we put our faith in you and and we've actually been giving to you of our tithes, a little bit of the income we've had, and, and we need soap. That day, Pam went out to the mailbox and guess what was in the mailbox? A sample of soap. I should have asked for an HDTV. I should have. It's like God said, you see, even the smallest thing I got you covered. And so, you know what? The hope that soap brought filled our day. So, oh, God's got us and we don't stink anymore. It could be a phone call from somebody who just says, I was just thinking about you. Are you okay? That's God saying to you, I got you on my mind. And you should fill your day with that hope saying, instead of, well, okay, that's nice, but I've got these things. You should say, yeah, God's here. God showed up and let it fill your day. You take out that nativity scene and you put it out there and you see that little baby. Let it speak hope to you today. Look, if God can take over 425 prophetic words about the life of Jesus and direct Jesus into each one of those, can he not guide you? In fact, that word, to guide our feet into the path of peace, actually is the word to steer. He will steer you into the path of peace. That word peace actually means rest. He will guide you into a rest and you will be rested because you will know that God showed up and you're okay. Zechariah had fear. It clouded his judgment. It's, It's the voices he listened to. And God said, I'm sending you to your room to refocus. Go. For nine months, he had to refocus. Can I encourage you that in all the hubbub and that you begin to block out the best buy ads and all the programs and and all the things you've got to do for the season and you find a space to refocus and listen to the voice of the one who said, I bring you hope. See, we start in Jerusalem with fear, but we can end up in Bethlehem and find peace. I love the words by Philip Brooks And we, and we read them and sing them but in, At Christmas time But He is so correct Listen to this O little town of Bethlehem How still we see thee lie Above thy deep and dreamless sleep The silent stars go by And so we, that's so poetic And so nice And la, 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 la Right? Yet in thy dark streets How many of you have ever felt Like you're in the dark streets? Been there? But in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. Now catch this. The hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Every fear you've got, you bring them to him and he will outmatch them with his hope. O holy child of Bethlehem. Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us. Our Lord. Emmanuel. What does that mean? God showed up. So here's how we're going to conclude. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and we're going to sing those two verses. And as we do, I want you to make that your declaration of hope today. And if you've got some fear, let his hope come to you at that moment. Then I'm going to come back and have a few more words with you, and then we're going to dismiss. Jenny, lead us, if you will. Would you please stand?
1: Amen. town of Bethlehem, how still. See the light.
0: Circumstances say give up. Hope whispers. Don't give up. God showed up. When the doctor says, you got to go through more chemo, don't give up, hope whispers. God showed up. When you say your brain cells cannot take any more information And you don't think you're going to be ready for your final Hope whispers Don't give up God showed up When that girl dumps you and broke your heart Hope whispers Don't give up God showed up When the plant closes and they say, you've got to go find another job and you feel like you're too old to go find another job and you don't know what to do, I'm going to tell you, hope whispers don't give up. God showed up. When the gas bill arrives and your checkbook says, uh-uh, hope whispers don't give up. Why? God showed up. when your shame has overcome you and you feel like you don't deserve to even live, hope whispers, don't give up. God showed up. And in this Christmas season, when the one you love is no longer here and you feel so all alone, hope whispers, especially for you, don't give up. God showed up. So go from that place of disappointment to that manger of hope. And say to that one who loves you so deeply, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And so now may you understand his love for you. May the peace sung Over those shepherds and the world. Permeate your being and your home and your family. And may courage thrive within you now. And may you always realize that for you, God showed up. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Merry Christmas.